Hi, Marcus Pierce here. Exceptional Life Blueprint Live, my signature two-day transformational event, is coming to Melbourne for the very first time, and you are invited. Join myself and a tribe of like-minded souls at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre on June 3 and 4. You will transform every area of your life from mediocre to magnificent and create a blueprint for your life purpose and career, your health, wealth, relationships, spirit, and more. Early bird two-for-one tickets are on sale now at melbourne.marcuspierce.com.au forward slash couch. That's melbourne.marcuspierce.com.au forward slash couch. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. I'm Damien Christoph, and this is a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into your life. And over the next three weeks, I'm going to be bringing to you three very special episodes from experts that I interviewed at the Biocidical Symposium in Sydney only a few weeks ago. I learned so many great things. I learned about vitamin K, I learned about SIBO or SIBO, and I had a great experience with a lovely lady, uh, Dr. Denise Furness, and we spoke about fertility and infertility and genetic mutations and a whole host of amazing things. I learned a lot from these three interviews, and I hope you do too. These interviews were conducted uh, live, in person, in Sydney. I didn't have Lawrence and I didn't have Brett, but uh, you can tell they're there in spirit. I hope that you get lots from these interviews. I got lots from them, um, and and I expect that uh, there'll be great feedback from them too. So if you do love them, let us know and uh, leave some comments in our Facebook. Open up some chats and uh, let's let's get this uh, story told and engage um, everyone that you know in uh, these amazing interviews. Take care, guys. So guys, here I am at the 5th Biocuticals Research Symposium. Last year, I recall that uh, Cindy O'Meara and I did some amazing interviews here, and this time around, I've got some amazing interviews lined up. And my first interview for today, and today is Sunday, so you can tell I'm working hard. The first interview today is with Dr. Sandberg-Lewis. Now, Dr. Sandberg-Lewis is a world-renowned SIBO expert. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with SIBO, it's small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And for those of you who are, you'll be busting out of your skin to find out more about this. So I'm not going to talk too long in this little intro. Um, I'm going to bring Dr. Sandberg-Lewis straight into the conversation. Um, But for all of you out there, I'm going to refer to him as Stephen. Stephen, it's great to have you here on our podcast. Thank you, Damien. Stephen, um, Sydney's a beautiful city. It's hard not to fall in love with it. Um, How's your time been here? Has it been good? It's been great. We went to the Opera Carmen last night and we walked around the botanical gardens during the day, took a day off from the symposium because we won't have a weekend before we go back to work and it was wonderful. So you're also working very hard which is great. SIBO, many many years ago as a naturopath starting out in my career I had no idea what SIBO was. You know I started you know as a naturopath in gosh in the late 90s and uh, we were still talking about irritable bowel syndrome, not really understanding too much about it. We'd say, you know, wheat's a problem. We'd say lactose or milk was a problem. Um, we started to understand that gluten would be a problem with irritable bowel. I'm um, not really understanding that not everybody could be celiac. 
so on and so forth, and so much has actually happened since then. In the last few years, we're now talking about SIBO. Can you tell us what SIBO actually is? So, important piece about small intestine bacterial overgrowth is, is it is not something that has to do with what some people ask me is bad bacteria. We want to get rid of bad bacteria. It's not. It's commensal, normal, friendly flora. They're just overgrown in the wrong location in the small intestine, which normally has very low levels of bacteria, unlike the large intestine that is designed to have very high levels. And the problems happen when those normal friendly flora do their normal thing, which is produce hydrogen, methane, or hydrogen sulfide. And those gases cause a lot of problems. Typical symptoms of SIBO would be irritable bowel syndrome type symptoms. Okay, so we're saying that a cause of irritable bowel syndrome could be SIBO. We're not saying that it's the same thing, but a cause could be that. So that's interesting because many people, I think, might still get that a little bit confused and a little bit, um, I don't know, maybe think that it's, you know, one is the same as the other. But we're now saying, and this is a really important point, great point, that it's commensal, normal, healthy bacteria. So the anaerobes and the aerobes that are within our body, so we've got some of the anaerobes, um, such as, uh, oh, maybe I'll let you do them. So what are some of the commensal bacteria that we would be aware of that could cause these problems? Some of the most common ones that can overgrow are lactobacillus, mm -hmm. uh, clostridia, mm -hmm. E. coli, Klebsiella, Proteus, um, and the Enterococcus. Yeah, and strep? Strep and staph as well, yes. I found that really interesting um, when I was reading through your notes um, that some of those bacteria that would normally you know, reside in the oropharynx could then be found in the small intestine. Um, and I wondered, and I was thinking, I wonder whether or not there's any kind of link or correlation between these beneficial normal commensal bacteria that would live inside our body in a healthful state. Is there a, a, what is the reason? Why would they be overgrowing in a healthy person? Well, of course, you're going to be swallowing oral bacteria all the time. Mm. Making one and a half liters of, of saliva a day, it gets swallowed constantly. Delicious. Yeah. And there are normal protective mechanisms. I like to call it the upper gate and the lower gate of the small intestine. So the thing that should prevent those oral bacteria from overgrowing and entering the small bowel and overgrowing would be, number one, acid production in the stomach. The pH of 1.8 kills many, most bacteria. In addition, once that material enters the small bowel, at the top of the small bowel, you've got bile being secreted and pancreatic enzymes and even brush border enzymes that are made by the mucosa of the small intestine. And all those things help to keep the bacteria from overgrowing. It's part of the normal process. And, of course, there are drugs that tend to suppress some of those things and tend to lead to this overgrowth, and some people just don't make as much. On the other hand, at the bottom, the lower gate of the small intestine, you want to keep those 100 billion bacteria per ml from refluxing back into the small intestine. It happens to some degree, but there's a very important mechanism called the migrating motor complex, also 
called the housekeeper wave of the small intestine that flushes things from the stomach all the way down to the very bottom of the small intestine. And if that's working well, it will flush those bacteria back out as they reflux into the small intestine from the large intestine. And one other piece at that lower gate is the ileocecal valve, which normally is closed at all times and it's the valve between the small intestine and large intestine. So it helps prevent that, what we call cecoilial reflux, from the large to the small bowel. But some people lose the tone, and it gapes, and it allows more reflux. So those are some of the most important factors I think we have, is good function of the housekeeper wave, upper gate enzymes and secretions, and lower gate uh, sphincter tone. This is fabulous and for people to understand that you know the upper gate that's the pyloric sphincter you're talking about is that right? Uh, well I'm actually talking about a chemical gate there. Oh okay. Um, not talking mechanical gates. Right it's more the, the hydrochloric acid, yeah. the pancreatic enzymes, the brush border enzymes and the bile. Sure okay. So if we're treating a functional dyspeptic gastrointestinal system we've got a low acid level in the gut because someone's had reflux and they've been given say a drug I'm just going to put a drug name at SOMAC they're given that to bring their um, hydrochloric acid secretions down is that initiating a problem for many people could we be treating reflux or upper gastric reflux differently could we look at maybe a dysfunctional hydrochloric acid secretion and manage that differently to the way we're doing it at the moment of course uh, it almost sounds like you're leading me into saying what my next book is, because that's what it's going to be on, is reflux. Um, but, yeah, reflux is a, is a complex condition. There are a lot of factors that can cause it. But, yeah, the, the, the treatment using proton pump inhibitors um, is unfortunate. I think there's a place for proton pump inhibitors in, in certain disease states where you just can't shut off the people that are hypersecretors of acid, but that's probably only 25% of patients. And, um, and a lot of what gets treated as reflux uh, really has very little to do with acid, but has more to do with sphincter tone and what you're saying about pyloric valve and reflux even of bile into the stomach and then into the the esophagus has to do with hiatal hernia, which is, affects over 40% of the population. Many, many mechanical factors that, that really affect that. Mm. It's so complicated. It's, uh, it's fascinating. I was reading through your notes um, again, and, and unfortunately I missed your presentation on Friday. But I'm absolutely fascinated that uh, we could have commensal bacteria in our body. And I, I, I recall my lecturers in university saying, be careful with the good bugs because you can overdose on the good bugs. So you can get too many good bacteria in the body. It was always one of those things that I suppose we spoke about. But seeing the list of bacteria that you, you rattled off before that... or, or um, microorganisms that could and should live in a healthy individual but may have overgrown in the case of SIBO. I'm fascinated that that may need drug intervention. Is it always the case that we need pharmaceutical drug intervention to knock off these bugs or can we control it by using other microorganisms that uh, may be involved in, in a commensal bacterial or symbiotic relationship? 
Well, that's what my talk's going to be about today is the treatment. Uh, and I start out with diet. There are five diets that we use uh, depending on the patient. All of those diets tend to reduce the amount of fermentable carbohydrate, which the bugs use to make gas and then create symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, so like the FODMAP diet? FODMAP diet is one of them. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to talk about herbal antimicrobials, uh, which according to the Chaded study that they did at uh, Johns Hopkins University, it, the herbal antimicrobial treatment is actually about 12% more effective at normalizing the breath test for SIBO than the prescription treatment. So we use them interchangeably. We let the patient decide which one they want. And does it take, is it as rapid in terms of its effect? Or is it more of an improvement in the long-term effect using the herbal preparation? This is a good question. We consider generally two weeks of prescription antibiotics to be a course mm -hmm. and a month of herbs to be a course. So it's not a whole lot of difference in time, how long it takes. Um, also, it just depends because we consider each of these kinds of therapies as a you might say, uh, rescue therapy for the other one. So if the herbs don't work, we can switch to the prescription, and usually we get a benefit there that we didn't get before, and, and vice versa. Mm. I recall um, many, many years ago, we were using things like black walnut and uh, Chinese wormwood and these sorts of uh, herbs to, and um, oregano and thyme oil, these sorts of things would assist in what we used to call gastrointestinal detoxification. We used to call it that. Um, and we used to think that there was no side effect from the herbs because they were natural. And you know, bit by bit over the last 20 years we've kind of understood, well, just because it's natural doesn't mean it's necessarily always safe. In other words, there can be undesirable effects from both pharmaceutical intervention and herbal intervention. Do you find that there's much difference between, do you have to do much more mopping up with either of the results, you know, of the treatments, or is the mopping up job pretty similar? Well, one piece to remember is that you can have another condition at the same time that you have SIBO, and that's fungal overgrowth, yes. yeast overgrowth. A lot of patients have that because like candida? candida would be one of them. Mm -hmm. Rotatoria would be another one. Mm -hmm. A uh, number of different uh, normally present fungus types that can overgrow. Mm -hmm. And when patients have both, when they take antibiotic protocols, especially in the constipated type of IBS, uh, they can feel terrible okay. because it's actually, it may actually gear up their fungal growth a little more as they're getting some die-off symptoms from killing the bacteria. So in those cases, I think it always is a great idea whenever possible to use the herbal treat treatment because we use things like garlic extract, we use berberine, like golden seal, mm -hmm. we use uh, oregano, mm -hmm. and those things are antifungal, antiviral, and antibacterial. So used cautiously, not in too high a dose for the patient, you can take care of the yeast at the same time you're taking care of the bacteria. Nice. Oh, that's great. There's, um, uh, the, there's a real big war on parasites in Australia at the moment. You know, people are being diagnosed with um, 
you know, generally three different parasites I'm finding people are, are being diagnosed with at the moment. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, whether it be a naturopathic practitioner or an integrative medical practitioner, they feel that there's a need to wage war on these parasites um, in the gut um, because they've been found. Just be, and I've I've been of the opinion, given that I'm I'm supposed you call me a vitalist, Stephen. I I think that the body heals. Um, I believe that the body is self-regulating, um, and and it has the opportunity to, given the right environment, to you know rise and steal victory from the jaws of defeat. In that case, should we be loving these bacteria to death? Should we? Could we? Could we be using, you know, um, supplemental pre and probiotics to assist in the eradication of these issues? So there have been three or four studies where the only treatment used for SIBO was probiotic. Mm -hmm. And those were somewhat effective, anywhere from 25 to 40% effective using single-strain organisms. Mm -hmm. So that is an option. It's we don't like 25 to 40 percent. We like a higher <laughs> efficacy, but yes. it definitely has its place as part of a, you know, a complex treatment. Mm. And we consider that in, in some cases. Mm. And the other thing I just wanted to mention is you, you said you're a vitalist. If you weren't a vitalist, I don't know that you would be a naturopathic <laughs> practitioner. I mean, that's, that's right. part of what we do. That's right. Yeah. So I'm glad. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I love it. Now, um, you were talking before about uh, managing, you know, yeast and and that type of overgrowth. It appears that there's maybe a staged um, approach or a stepped out approach to managing SIBO. So it might appear, obviously, that diagnosis would be a good thing to do because many people go, "Oh, you must have SIBO. I'm going to treat it without actually testing it." Is that a risky business? I don't know if people remember the the days when we used film instead of digital photography, but I, I'm 62 years old, so I remember that. Got, uh, look, just for the listeners, Stephen's got a great head of hair on him. He, like, I've got no hair, and I'm 40, and he's 62. He's looking great. He only looks about 30, so you'll, uh, you'll have to look him up. Go to his website. Check that out. It's 8hearts.org. I'll come back to that later on. Anyway, uh, back in those days, there was a kind of a black bag, cloth bag, and you could put your hands in either side and you could manipulate the film inside the camera inside the black bag so you wouldn't if you had to change film in between uh, the roll being finished you could actually do that without exposing it to light and I kind of feel like not testing for SIBO and treating it is like working in the black bag you, you have to kind of feel your way through it and you don't really know what you're doing mm -hmm. um, we put a lot of emphasis when we teach our student doctors and, and graduate physicians. We put a lot of focus on doing the testing, retesting if the patient is not 90% better with their symptoms two weeks after the two treatment. Weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, because a lot of these treatments have continued beneficial effects even after they finish them. Mm -hmm. So we like to give it at least two weeks before we re retest them. We don't we we don't necessarily retest people if they are ninety percent better with their symptoms. It's totally up to them. But if they're not, we like to retest. We want to know, and I have an algorithm that you might publish um, that Dr. Seebecker and I made. But we want to know if they're not ninety percent better. What does their test look like now after treatment? Mm. If 
it's a negative test, a normal test doesn't show any SIBO anymore, then we have to look for other causes for their symptoms. And maybe it's yeast, and that hasn't been eradicated, mm -hmm. or something more serious. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if it's still positive, we want to see what the picture is, because the test helps us know what treatments might be most effective. If it's a hydrogen-dominant case, we know we want to use, for herbs, for instance, we want to use more of the berberine herbs and maybe oregano. If it's a more methane-dominant case, we know we have to put more allicin garlic extract in there because that seems to be the most effective one. Um, or we might even, there's otrantil, there's other things available that are more meth methane-specific. So we really want to know what we're working with and not just be sticking our hands in that black bag and guessing. Mm -hmm. That's so good to know. So the test that we generally do uh, for SIBO or the diagnosis of SIBO is a breath test. Is that correct? Is there anything else that we use for, uh, for testing SIBO? Three ways that we know to test. One is duodenal or jejunal fluid sampling. That would be obtained during an upper endoscopy. Mm -hmm. And whenever my patient, either I'm referring them for an upper endoscopy or I know they're going to have one anyway, I always like to write down or call the physician and say, please do a duodenal aspirate and culture for bacterial overgrowth. And we want to see less than 1,000 bacteria per ml. That's normal. If it's more than that, they'll culture it and we'll know what bug it is. Um, the other two tests, which are less invasive and therefore more useful for retesting and uh, many other reasons, one is a lactulose breath test, one is a glucose breath test. The glucose breath test comes out looking much better in research because it comes out looking more like the duodenal culture. And that's because glucose is easily absorbed, of course, especially in the first one to two feet of small intestine. So if your patient shows SIBO with a glucose breath test, that means that the overgrowth is very high up in the duodenum or the very top of the jejunum. The, the thing is, there's a lot of SIBO that takes place in the mid-small intestine or lower small intestine. Small intestine is 18 to 20 feet long. If all you're doing is measuring for overgrowth in the first one to two feet, which you do when you do the endoscopy or when you do glucose breath test, you're going to miss a lot. Mm -hmm. And I, I really urge people, if you're reading studies on SIBO, see how they measured it. Mm -hmm. See how they uh, actually decided based on the breath test results, if they use breath tests, how did they interpret the test and what was a positive and what was a negative? Lactulose, on the other hand, is an unabsorbable car carbohydrate. Only the bacteria and the archaea that make methane can break it down. They'll cleave it and they'll use it to make hydrogen, methane, or hydrogen sulfide. It goes through the entire small intestine in about 105 to 120 minutes. And then it enters the large intestine. So if you do a three-hour breath test with lactulose, you'll actually see a massive rise usually when it hits the large intestine. And that lets you know, oh, this is large intestine. We want a lot of bacteria here. This is good. This person has a good bacterial load in their large intestine. And then compare that to the first two hours and see what's happening in the small intestine. 
This is so fascinating. I reckon it'll be people rewinding this, going back 15 seconds, 15 seconds, 15 seconds, just to get all that again, because I will. I, uh, I'm finding that um, amazing. One thing you mentioned before was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Stephen, was that you said if it's uh, if, the, if there's elevated... If, if the issue is in the upper part of the small intestine, which is a glucose, measured through the glucose test, that you would increase... Um, Allison, garlic, if from methane. a treatment. Oh, if it's methane, I'm all right. If it's hydrogen or a combination hydrogen methane, yes. you're definitely going to need the berberine herbs in there as well. Okay. So the reason I'm asking this is because a lot of people at the moment in Australia are fearful of fructose malabsorption. So they're very worried about their response to garlic or they're very worried about their response to. Um, fermentable oligo-mono and polyols, et cetera, et cetera. So they're worried about that. Is this an issue in the treatment of SIBO because people might have sensitivities to fructose? Yeah, and and the low FODMAPs diet has introduced that concept. We don't find that fructose malabsorption is that common. Mm -hmm. And actually what Dr. Lustig was talking about this morning with fructose activating insulin leading to the whole problem with obesity and insulin resistance. Uh, I think he's right about that. If we had fructose malabsorption, we probably have a lot less of that problem with diabetes. (laughs) Uh, We don't see that much. And we also know that from biochemistry uh, and physiology that the fructose can sort of catch a ride on the glucose the glucose factors, mm-hmm. and um, they can they can get fructose can get pulled in along with glucose. So the glucose receptor is often a free ride for fruc- for fructose. Even if there is mild fructose malabsorption, it's still going to get in unless people you know are using high doses of corn syrup and other high fructose items. I mean nobody ought to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, the low fibrous diet is the absolute opposite of high fructose corn syrup. So uh, I think there's a balance in between. Mm-hmm. For instance, the low FODMAPs diet says don't use honey. Mm-hmm. Well, honey is an equal solution of glucose and fructose. We find that most people do excellently with that, even if they have SIBO, unless they have the fungal overgrowth as well, because any kind of sugar can aggravate that. Mm-hmm. But uh, just pure SIBO... Um, most of those folks can do okay with reasonable amount of honey. This is really great news. With, um, with the fungal things, is Saccharomyces an effective kind of um, treatment? Is, is that a, a nice little fungus that people could take as a, you know, an occasional supplement probiotic to, to assist in the management of this? Uh, I'm not probably the best person to ask about that because I've only used Saccharomyces boulardii as a treatment for Clostridium difficile prevention, you know, prophylaxis of Clostridium difficile when someone's taking an antibiotic. Mm -hmm. Um, I really haven't used it for other things very much. Um, But certainly probiotics in general can be very helpful in the treatment of fungal overgrowth. This is great. So, Stephen, just in the last minute or so while we're, we're still talking, um, there's a lot of people out there that have been told they've got SIBO, they haven't been tested. Um, they've, in Australia, it's very, very difficult for the, the uh, I'll call them punters, they're our listeners, it's very difficult for the average person to be able to rock up to their GP and say, look, I've been 
getting indigestion, I've got heartburn, I've got bloating, I'm constipated, I've got really smelly wind. The doctor doesn't necessarily just say, well, let's test you for SIBO. How, how should a person who suspects they might have SIBO approach this with their general practitioner? Hmm, how to talk to a doctor. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what doctors are like in Australia. I haven't spent much time here. I would say some are good and some are less than that. Um, and some are great. Well, what, I, I would think that one thing that could be done is if a patient introduces their physician to this idea and, and requests it, and the doctor says, no, that's bunk, um, even though the test has been around since the 1960s and the condition has been known about since that whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, most of years. Yeah, most of the research has just blossomed since the year 2000. There were less than 100 studies prior to 2000, and now there are 1,400 published studies. Wow. Um, chapter 6 of my book, for those that are more... Uh, inquisitive and willing to look up some terms because it's it's written for physicians mostly um, is a very thorough overview of 160 studies and our own experience uh, in that chapter but uh, people can also find an earlier version of that article for free on the internet at um, townsendletter.com I believe it is. Uh, the Townsend Letter is a um, sort of an informal natural medicine journal that um, Dr. Allison Seebecker and I co-wrote an article called Dysbiosis Has a New Name. And you can find that on their previous issues por- portion of their website. And that's a, it's a very nice overview of this, this whole uh, situation. They could refer their doctor to that, uh, or their doctor could get my textbook. If their doctor is not interested, their mind is closed, probably the best thing to do would be to, here in Australia, um, get in touch with the folks at SIBO Lab. I have no connection with them, but I think they're great people. Mm-hmm. SIBO Test, excuse me, SIBOTest.com. Uh, is a lab that does testing here in Australia. Uh, the doctor that runs that lab, neurologist Kobe, is very knowledgeable. She's spoken at our symposia several times in the United States, uh, and we interact with her a lot. And she could probably tell uh, the patients which doctors use the test regularly and, and maybe find the right doctor. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great, and I appreciate your time enormously. And I know that our listeners will be absolutely fascinated with this. And and, and I think, Stephen, that um, that you might get a lot more hits on your website as a result of this. And just to uh, to let people know again, it's eighthearts.org to go and have a look at what Dr. Sandberg Lewis has been doing and does do. Um, he also gave us a resource before called SIBOinfo.com. So you can go there for more information about what SIBO actually is and um, possible treatment mechanisms and treatment uh, protocols are. But uh, I'd like to give you my absolute warmest heartfelt thanks, Stephen, for uh, joining me today and giving me, giving me your time. And, uh, and thank you so much for sharing your information and knowledge. You're very welcome.
Everybody, make sure that uh, you tune into the next couple of uh, um, episodes of The Wellness Guys because I'll be doing more interviews here at the 5th Bioceuticals Research Symposium. It's, uh, it's been great so far uh, and we're kicking off and I'm very, very excited uh, for the next few interviews. So thank you again, Stephen. I look forward to uh, listening to your seminar this afternoon. That is breakthrough information. There's people out there that I know that are using um, powdered forms of uh, fermented fruits um, as a prebiotic and, and of course that that could be a problem in the management of, of this. So think about that, have a look at your, your uh, probiotic supplements, make sure that they are just the bug and they don't contain uh, the prebiotics. Thanks again. That's it for another edition of The Wellness Guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. It's uh, been a pleasure uh, having these interviews and, and bringing them live to you from the symposium here at Bioceuticals in Sydney. I've had a great time. I hope you've learned a lot. Now, make sure you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com, The Wellness Guys, and tell us what you thought of this episode. Please share the podcast with your friends and family and other strangers you think need a, need a wellness update. And of course, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and while you're there, leave us a five-star rating and give us a comment. We'd love comments. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives, lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guys Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.